Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be able to share the Word of God. Brother Jeremy last week had a uh, kind of an ardent task of trying to uh, get all the way through the second missionary journey. Today it's my tough task to get all the way through the third missionary journey. But uh, I'm going to leave it for the young and the quick for Brother Jeremy to complete the study of the book of Acts. So he's got an even tougher task next week than each of us have had these last two weeks. Join me in the third missionary journey. We're going to be in uh, Acts 18, in their beginning, in verse 23, the third missionary journey basically begins. Paul had been in Corinth for some time, now he finds himself traveling to Antioch, spent some time there, and I would also like to spend a little bit of time there. Um, one of the things that Sister um, uh, Ida was sharing Sunday night is, can we pray for the saints who are being persecuted, the Christians who are being persecuted? And those are many, and they're varied, and they're in different parts of the world. But one of the parts of the world here, as you begin the third missionary journey, it says, after spending some time in Antioch, and where is that? In Syria. And imagine the Christians in Syria, the persecution that they're facing. And you know, it said, talked about all these skirmishes going across. And who are they going against? The, those fighting against the regime? No, they were going against Christians who aren't fighting against anybody. They're just striving to please God. But they were easy targets also. So I'd like to just stop and offer a prayer for them even right now. Heavenly Father, as we think of those who are going through arduous hardships, through heavy trials, these are nothing to be compared with those who are giving up their lives, rendering themselves before you, all for the name, all for the sake of you and the cross. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you endured for us, and may we, like them, be willing also to endure the cross. The cross that you've given to us to bear here on this earth. Not your cross where there's perfect redemption for all mankind. But just our hardship to bear in this life. May we be willing to proclaim the name of Jesus even to the point of death. Should that be our call. Thank you for the Christians in Syria who've taken up that charge and who've willingly given their lives. Many who didn't have a choice, but their life was taken. Lord, we want to pray for them and their families and pray that others around the world will take charge and take credit and and, and, and take courage to lead that charge so that Christians might continue to be a force to be reckoned with, people who are daring to name the name of the Lord Jesus, even to their detriment. We pray these things in your name and we also pray that we might better understand the scriptures as they come forth even today. Amen.
All right. By the way, I used to think I was, uh, this was in the early 70s. When I was in the Marine Corps, I used to think that I was worth my weight in Wildcats, and I really believe I was. A couple of bigger people that had to tell me that, oh, well, you're not all that, because they would pick me up over their shoulders and throw me down. But I'd still charge them anyway. <laughs> you're not going to give up. One of those guys became a good friend to me. I was in the 130, 140-pound uh, uh, you know, uh, range at that time. He was 185, 190, somewhere like that. <laughs> but we became good friends because he respected my, uh, my stupidity. No, my uh, willingness to take on a fight bigger than myself. But that's what they trained us to do, to fight, to fight hard, to fight virulent. Well, we have believers who are willing to fight even when the odds are insurmountable. By the way, just going back to the Marine Corps and telling little stories, there's a story about two, two Marines. They were just caught, and they were right in the middle of a valley, and all around them, the range, there were so, you know, just soldiers from the enemy armies that were around them. And they said, good, we've got them right where we want them type of thing. You know, that's the kind of mentality that we have. And that's the kind of mentality that Christians need to have as well. Because if the Lord be for us, right? Isn't that what Romans 8.31 says? If the Lord be for us, who can be against us? We are those. We are part of the Lord's army. We are those who can take on that task. Well, anyway, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and he traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, gaining, excuse me, strengthening all the disciples. Now I want you to, to take note of 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, those first four verses, especially uh, verse 2 where it talks about setting aside a love gift. Paul wanted to take a gift back to all the Christians who were in Jerusalem. And as he went through all these regions, he's, he told them to set aside this stuff. So you see that when he was going through Galatia and he was going through Corinth and through some of these regions, that he did want them to set aside this love gift for the saints at Jerusalem. Paul's third missionary journey, even though he is a missionary par excellence, he was first called a disciple or an apostle of the Lord after the Lord had to get get to him and tell him what his real ministry would be. Even though we have all that, what you see in this third missionary journey is a pastor's heart who wanted to address churches, wanted to spend some time with them. You'll see he spends a few months here. He spends a couple years there. He spent a few weeks there or a week there and, and so forth. So Paul wants to spend time with the churches that he's ministering to. Yes, he was a missionary. Yes, he did those travels and he started those churches. And yes, he wanted to go back and encourage them again and see how they're doing. And now he goes back for the third time and even starts other Churches, as it were. So, strengthening all the disciples. Well, I'm going to kind of skip very, very quickly here. Just kind of point you to the road we're going to be looking at. 
So here he is. He's going to Antioch. He's strengthening them. Uh, then he goes on into Ephesus in chapter uh, 19. When you see him, he's there. He's preaching. There's a riot in Ephesus that, that comes about. Remember some of the things that uh, he shared earlier uh, in the Mars Hill message that uh, Jeremy looked at last time. And it basically attacked the uh, those craftsmen who were working with various idols and so forth. And you have something similar there that happens in Ephesus. And we'll look at that. And it took not a religious leader, but a city clerk to go ahead and quell the crowd. Now when he goes through Macedonia and Galatia in chapter 20, this is uh, the story you see in Troas there where Paul is preaching. And it may have been one of the, at the Jewish observances where they're enjoying long meals and long speeches. And basically his message lasts through the night. And you find somebody who is getting comfortable and whatever and a little bit sleepy-eyed. And as Paul continued to minister the word of God, what happens? This guy basically loses all control, falls out of the third story window. And you remember that story. Paul ran down, threw his body on top of him and said he's alive. Well, that story is there. But then the most touching of the stories that we're going to look at today is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And we'll look at there. And then it's on to Jerusalem. One of the other funny stories that we'll kind of look at happens in (laughs) Ephesus there. There's basically a man who's demon-possessed. And you can kind of look at that story. We'll just kind of peek ahead a little bit. Chapter 19, beginning of verse 13. Some of the Jews were running around and they were driving out evil spirits and they would, try, they would try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus who were, uh, over those who were demon-possessed and they would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, the seven sons of Sceva, this was a Jewish priest who had these seven sons, they, they were out there doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered, you know, I'm tired of talking to you guys, whatever. Jesus I know and I know Paul. But who are you? (laughs) And then he took over uh, whipping all those seven priests. Beat them so badly they ran out naked and bleeding. It's just one of those neat little stories that when uh, we try to pretend like we're Christians, some (laughs) things can happen that you might not appreciate. So those are some of the stories that are there. And I know that when... Like like Jeremy, he said, look, we won't have time to get to all these stories. And I just wanted to let you know that those are there. We don't have time to talk about every little place and how long he stayed and how who he spoke to and what he did and, and so forth. But suffice it to say, Paul was on his last. Yes, I said it was a third, but it was also his last missionary journey. And he wanted it to be as you know, as memorable as he possibly could. He had some inklings. He had some notions. And he also had a vision. And he had a priest come to him, a prophet, Agabus, who came to him at one moment. And he took the sash of Paul. He bound his hands and his feet. And he said, this is your plight if you go back to Jerusalem. This is what's going to be happening to you. Okay, if that's what it takes, then that's what it it takes. And we'll share a little bit later what he said about that. Okay. 
So here we are. We're just beginning the third missionary journey, but I basically introduced some of the things that are going to be happening on the way. We prayed for the Syrian church, and now you also know one of the missions that Paul had on this third missionary journey was to come by and make that collection. Uh, uh, the, everything that had been set aside because of all the Jewish, uh, all the believers who were still in Jerusalem. You remember the early church when it began, and when everybody began to disperse, or the during the diaspora or the persecution, when all of them are beginning to spread out, the ones that stayed were extremely poor. They had come from their, you know, their uh, their other country. They had no means of, you know. Uh, by the way, there's no sign up for welfare or WIC or for food stamps or any of those types of things. There was none of those types of things. It took other believers who would be uh, mindful of what they needed and care for them. And that's what Paul wanted to remember, that little church in Jerusalem that was still there. The millions that had gathered, or hundreds of thousands at a minimum, who had gathered there during the time of Christ and thereafter. Okay. Let's go to uh, chapter 18, verse 24. Acts 18, 24 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. But he still spoke boldly in the synagogue. Well, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and they explained the way of God more accurately. I love that. I love that. By the way, if you're a student and the prof is spouting some, something that, uh, like a little bit of nonsense, or Pastor Rick, and you want to refute that, or you want to correct them? How did Priscilla and Aquila do it? They took him aside. They invited him into their home. The safety and the comfort that they'd known there. And they began to explain the way more accurately. So, if it's, you know, if it's not heretical... Just maybe a little mistake. Well, it was a galvanized pail instead of a metal pail with pitch or, you know, whatever. Okay? It's not that important. So we don't have to, you know, shout up and, you know, be disruptive and say, heresy, you know. (laughs) And that's not true. It's this or that. And you saw how Quilla and Priscilla handled it. Great. With class, it made him feel comfortable. And by the way, as a learned man, he would know that um, that he didn't know everything. That's one of the first things I learned in college. The more that you learn, the more you learn that's out there that you don't know, right? Okay. And you're, you're in college or you've gone through school and, you know, the older you get in life, the more things you learn about the different things that are out there, the more you know, wow, there's a vast world out there that I have yet to uncover. I don't know all those things. But they took... Um, they, they took Apollos aside and they explained the way more accurately. It's not that he was uh, uneducated. It was just that he was ignorant about all of Christianity. He had only experienced or had only known about the baptism of John, which was what? A baptism of repentance. Well, there's more to that. 
There's more to it. So when uh, when Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him there. Because remember, this is a guy who stands up. This is a guy who's willing to speak. This is a guy who will vehemently go against those who uh, re- refute the name of Christ. So on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. By the way, there's some champions in Christianity that are willing to speak up. And, and we can stand and, and, and we can uh, you know, desire to get close to them or hold on to their coattails. But eventually there might come a time where we actually have to speak up for ourselves. But we love those champions. Uh, Brother Jeremy was sharing a little bit earlier about one of the champions uh, I, I knew a little bit, Chuck Colson. He started, you know, prison fellowship. And out of that grew these other needs like Angel Tree Ministries and so forth. Those are good causes. He has since gone to be with the Lord, but don't you know, his heritage or that which he left behind are those people that still carry on ministries like that. And I appreciate your involvement there. So on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took a different road. And there he found some disciples when he was uh, uh, arrived at Ephesus. Found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, hmm. What about that? Well, they answered him, no, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, what, you know, what baptism did you receive? Well, we received the baptism of, of John. The same thing that Apollos had been aware of. Well, the next few verses, 4, 5, and 6, tell what Paul did. So Paul basically baptized about 12 of these disciples, placed hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues, and they knew that they had received the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. So Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for about three months and he was arguing persuasively about the kingdom but some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way or the, the people of God or the Christians. They were called the way before. They were called uh, the Christians at Antioch earlier in the, the book of Acts. And now they're known here again as people of the way. Paul left them and he began to go to a, a lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Well, uh, you might say like during some of the, you know, the, the hot of the day, people would retreat to the coolness of their homes and try to get away from, get away from the heat. It was during those times probably that Paul was able to speak to them in the middle of the day and address them. When other people were taking a siesta, what was he doing? He was preaching the word of God and preaching it to all who would come and share with him. Well, this went on for about two years, verse 10 says, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Wow. Two years. That's a good half of his entire third missionary journey. 
This took about four, maybe four and a half years or so for Paul to go through that particular journey. And he spent a couple of those. He thought it was that important to spend at least a couple of those in Ephesus. All right, verse 11. Will God continue to do extraordinary miracles through Paul? And here's one of the things that I want us to avoid, you know, those pitfalls. If you see, you know, the health and wealth and prosperity preachers and, you know, some of these missionary uh, organizations that said, you know, just give or sign up here and so forth and we'll send you a handkerchief that was blessed or we'll send you a this or that and, you know, and, you know, you so as soon as the cash is in the mail, then uh, because the cross is a plus sign, you know, then you'll start receiving the blessings. That's the way it works. Well, does it really? Uh, for Paul, he was blessed to have these extraordinary miracles to be done through him. Remember that he also baptized. And, and we saw in just a little passage before this that he baptized at least a dozen people. But when it came to arguments later about, you know, and I have, uh, you know, about, you know, Paulus and, you know, who, you know, who chooses this one or who chooses that one. And some say Paul, some say, you, you know, John, whatever, don't don't pay any attention to that. I don't take any credit for that, Paul said. He said, in fact, you know, I, I didn't baptize anybody. Well, well, wait a minute, there was this one, that one, but other than, well, and then that one, that one. But see, that wasn't the focal point of his ministry. The focal point of his ministry was to share the gospel. And if people accepted Jesus and they were baptized, then praise the Lord, the kingdom has become better. Not another notch in Paul's belt. You know, look what I've done. And it's never about what we've done. It's what the Lord has already accomplished. He didn't get up on the cross and say, yo, y'all got to keep working. No, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He's accomplished everything already. It's finished. So Paul did these extraordinary miracles, but you know, you saw what other people wanted to do and so forth. Well, and that's when others tried to mimic him. And I shared that story with you a moment ago, how the seven sons of Sceva wanted to uh, go out and say that they did these things too. Well, they tried to, and remember what the evil spirit did that was in that man. Came out and tore into those uh, uh, that Jewish priest's son. Made him go running out. <laughs> running, out, running out of the house and naked and bleeding. Well, it's funny. Let me go to the riot in Ephesus. That comes in chapter 19, verse 23. <coughs> Paul has already decided as he's leaving Ephesus, gonna, he wants to make his way Back to Jerusalem sometime. He wasn't sure and so forth. But he knew he had to pass through Macedonia and Acacia and, and so forth. He, he said he had to visit Rome. And he wanted to, uh, uh, to do all of these things in his lifespan. But now we find him in Ephesus. It says in chapter 19 verse 23. That about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. And a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business for the craftsmen. And he called all the craftsmen together and he basically described to them, you know, what was happening. Hey, wait a minute. You know, our, our great um, idol is being uh, spoken evil of 
by these people and they're hurting our business and so forth. And so he begins to stir up all the craftsmen to go up against Paul and they do that. Well, when when they believe uh, what Demetrius is telling them, that Paul and his cohorts are speaking against the great goddess Artemis, and, and they're trying to rob her of her majesty, not just kill our business. When they heard that, it says, verse 28, that they were furious, and they began shouting, Great! is Artemis of the Ephesians, so that the whole city was in an uproar, and the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus and you know Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. And Paul wanted to uh, appear before them in the crowd, but some of his uh, people kept him from them. And verse 32 says that the assembly was in confusion, and some were shouting one thing and some another, and most of the people didn't even know why they were there. Isn't that the way it happens? Somebody incites something, gets it going, and then what do you do? What do you do? You just kind of join in. Mob mentality takes over. You start fomenting at the mouth, or you try to pick up on what they're shouting, and you shout the same thing. Or if it's a little more organized, we call those in law enforcement, rent a mob. You know, what do they do? They hand out t-shirts or give them a free half a sandwich, and hey, go over here, hold this sign, or whatever. And they don't know what they're out there for, but hey, it's learning to hang around. Now I got a few bucks to buy some weed there, you know. And so that's, you know, but rent a mob or whatever you want to call them, that's what they were doing. Some were shouting one thing, some another, but most of them didn't even know why they were there. Verse 33 says, the Jews pushed Alexander to the front. Some of the other crowd began to shout instructions, and uh, he, uh, he realized, oh, excuse me, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Can you believe this? Now, you've heard some long, st- you know, standing ovations. You've heard some loud chants and whatever. But what did they yell for about two hours? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And you're already tired of me. And I only said it three times for about a half a minute. Well, they kept shouting that for two hours. For two hours, so much so that the city clerk in verse 35 says, quieted the crowd and he said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are opened. And there are proconsuls or governors or judges. And they can press charges. And if there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. Wow, somebody with some common sense, with some rationalities beginning to speak. The other people were screaming crazily and fomentingly and just, you know, irrationally. And it didn't matter. They were just, you know, getting caught up in the moment and all of that. But the city clerk quiets him down and says, wow, wow. As it is, he says in verse 40, 
We're in danger of being charged with rioting today because of today's events. In that case, we would be unable to account for our commotion. I thought of that particular passage. Maybe I don't get involved in commotions or big to-dos. But wait a minute. How did I spend my day? What happened this week? What was accomplished this month? What did I do last year? And around Thanksgiving time, it's a good time to thank God for the way He brought you through another year and so forth. New Year's, we think of resolutions and so forth. You know, December, uh, we're, you know, we're grateful for the Christ coming in bodily form. And we're all these, you know, it's a pretty contemplative time. You know, we can do a lot of introspective uh, stuff at this time. Well, think about that. Have you ever got caught up in a commotion? And if you did, was it for a good cause? And if it wasn't, what did you do in the first place? Well, because everyone else was doing it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Avoid those commotions if you can. Basically, for the believer, we're called to live a quiet and decent life. To follow the prescripts the, the teachings that the Lord has given us. Somebody for me, while I'm continuing to talk, look up Isaiah 30.15, okay? Isaiah 30.15. See, all these people were, you know, they were shouting in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians and so forth. And then the, the city clerk says, men of Ephesus, you know, everybody knows that, you know, that uh, Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis. Everybody knows that. And uh, so forth, basically, lets that be known. So if Demetrius and some of his craftsmen have a grievance, let them bring it up with the law. Let them do things decently and in order. And that's, by the way, how we should run our church as well. And he also had to tell them as if, you know, we're in danger ourselves of being charged with stirring up this commotion. And if so, we, we, we don't have any way of, you know, answering or there's no explanation that we could give. All right, somebody have Isaiah thirty fifteen. You want to read? You have that, Robert? Oh, oh it's some, some, I thought maybe somebody had should have called on. You, you, you. I, you have uh, Isaiah 30? 30, 30, 15. 30, verse 15, right. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, said. Repentance and rest is your salvation. The quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Amen. Amen. The prophet of old, long time before Paul would face these, or his traveling companions would face this riotous crowd, the prophet of old said, In quietness and in confidence, God will renew our strength. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the city clerk continues on. We won't be able to answer or give an account for all this commotion since there's no reason for it. And after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, when the uproar had ended, chapter 20, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, and he said goodbye and he set out for Macedonia. 
And he traveled through all the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And he finally arrived at Greece, where he stayed, it says, for three months. Continued to minister there. You see how he comes, and there's the story of uh, Eutychus there being raised from the dead. And I want to go now to Paul's farewell for the conclusion of his missionary journey. Paul has done much, and he's said much, and he's been with the, the churches. And you can kind of recount that. And I even looked online, and there's like someone that has a little drawing of, with a little map that will show. See, it's, you can see how the line moves. Fancy stuff they have these days, right? All we had was little charts and graphs when I was in, in school. Fancy stuff. So you can look that up there. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. The story reads, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos. Now, by the way, on this missionary journey, we know that Priscilla and Aquila were with Paul and and he ministered to other people. But there was somebody else, and Brother Jeremy mentioned it last time. By the way, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke. Yeah. So when we have we, you know he was there with Paul. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. And he made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And he met us at Asos, and we took him on board, and we went uh, to Mytilene, and the next day we uh, set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after we had crossed over Samos, and on and on and on, and Miletus and so forth, goes through the province of Asia, There was, uh, and now they're beginning to get in a hurry to reach Jerusalem there, and if possible, by the day of Pentecost, and that would be uh, Pentecost in uh, 57. A.D. Verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. How long did he say that? Yeah, two years. You know how I lived with you the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. And when you read more carefully the third missionary journey, you see that he was going to go here, but he had to change and set sail over here or walk this way. And then remember, that we just saw the riot there, how his you know, kindred men you know, didn't let him go. and So, I mean, he was thoroughly tormented everywhere he went. They knew that the plots of the Jews, that they were out to get him. So he says in verse 20, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Paul said something in the book of Romans, in, uh, uh, in the book of Romans, when he wrote that letter to them. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. 
For it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. He said that, but you can see he actually practices that. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And I've taught you publicly from house to house. Verse 21, he says, I've declared to both Jews and to Greek that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships face me. Paul is coming to, he feels, a time when his tongue might be bridled. His body might be uh, uh, incarcerated, as it were. But he also knew that he wanted to fulfill the will of God. He says, I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, verse 24, I consider my life uh, worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And then he explains what that task is. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Praise the Lord. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Huh? No, you'll never see me again. So therefore I proclaim to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He wanted to say that he ran the race with endurance, that he was faithful about the task God gave him, that he did minister to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but he made the emphasis to those Gentile believers, those Greeks. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And then he gives them some parting words, as it were. Some shepherding words. Some pastoral care words. He says, beginning in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought or bought with his own blood. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to be coming in. And even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. So we need to be on guard for things like that. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, both day and night, with tears. I don't know how many of you look at Paul as one who gets teary-eyed. This is a tough guy. This is a guy who's lived with physical ailments 
has asked for God to take that from him. And even a, uh, even a guy who has done many miraculous and extraordinary things in, the, in, his, in his ministry, like this guy in Troas, like some of the other ministries he's had. Look at how God has, was able to raise him up when he was beaten to death. And yet, God revived him. When he was bitten by a snake, and God brought him back. Look at how God was able to use him. Then look at what he's done. So even though all these extraordinary things had been done in and through his life, we see him as a tough guy, gnarly as it were, you know, just one of these, you know, real like, uh, you know, wrinkled leather type of faces because he's just faced the elements. He's walked through it. He's been there. He's done that. He's gutted it out. He, with grit in his teeth, he, you know, he mashed out this or that. He worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. So, and he was one who had a great pride in being able to provide for himself and that he took nobody else's wealth. He didn't draw a salary from a local church, as it were. He was a proud man, a tough guy. And yet you see him. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, day and night, with tears. Getting a little sentimental in his older age, getting a little sentimental in his resignation in knowing that he's followed the Lord all of his days and wants to continue to uh, be of use in ministry. He says, now I commit to you, verse 32, and to the word of, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And I have not coveted any man's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that my hands have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companion. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, he knelt down with them and prayed. And they all wept. As they embraced him, and they kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him on ship. Well, now it's off to Jerusalem. There he goes. He sets sail. After we had... Uh, now he's in... Uh, let's see. So we continued on the voyage from Tyre and landed. That's a verse 7, chapter 21, verse 7 to Ptolemy, where we were greeted by some of the brothers and we stayed there for a day and then leaving the next day we reached Caesarea and we stayed in the house of Philippi the Evangelist, one of the seven, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And after we were there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming over to us, he took Paul's belt he tied his hands and his feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentile. 
And when they heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be, to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When they couldn't dissuade him, says we all gave up and we just said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Well, Paul is going to be going on trial. He'll be arrested. He'll be uh, all of that stuff. But that comes in the last part of the book of Acts. Paul knew that was coming. When Agabus took his, you know, uh, learn uh, his loin uh, girdle, took that little rope, belt if you will, and bound Paul's hands and bound his feet. The Holy Spirit says that the man who owns this belt will be so treated when he goes to Jerusalem. That's what he'll find. The Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Could you do that? Would you do that? Is anyone willing to give up his life for the sake of the gospel? And if we are, why then do we cower at mentioning the name of Christ? Because we're told we can't? Mm. What should we do with this Jesus? If Jesus has come in to our lives and given us eternal life, what can we give back to him? Have any of you ever prayed for somebody else and you just, oh Lord, please save them? Okay. And, I, and I'd like to use you to start talking to them. Start sharing with them. Start showing them the book. Start letting them see that Jesus really does live in you. Start living those works that you say you do. Practicing the gospel in your life. In doing so, you will proclaim the name of the Lord until he comes again. Godspeed. God be with you.